Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett as we get you ready for the Super Bowl and the trading deadline just ended in the NBA. We're recording right after that at 3.30. Jamie McClellan's going to join me in just a little bit and we'll get our Super Bowl picks thanks to our friends at FanDuel. Going to have a lot of fun with this. We got a lot of props for you. We got some parlays. We got our side bets. We'll get into all that in just a little bit. But before that, the Celtics, of course, we talked about it on the Wednesday pod. The Celtics added Xavier Tillman. And right before the deadline, they trade Banton to Portland for a second-round pick. And then they pick up Jaden Springer from the Sixers for a second-round pick. Okay, so if you're not familiar with Jaden Springer's work, super athletic guy, has not played a lot in the NBA, just 32 games with Philly. Although, he does have on his highlight package a block of Jason Tatum. He's in just his 21-year-old season, spent a lot of time in the G League, just 42 career three-point attempts, cannot really shoot the ball. He was one of these kids, big-time recruit, five-star, 16th ranked overall player by rivals, 17th by ESPN. He was actually the G League Finals MVP last season. So in the G League, averaging 19 points a game on 49.3% shooting, but even in the G League, shooting just 31.9% from deep. The one thing you can say about him, active defender, 2.4 steals per 36 minutes this year in the games he played in the NBA. Only five players are over two. He's also averaging 1.1 blocks per game per 36 minutes, and he's 6'4". So what he provides you is a little bit more upside than Banton because he's a super athlete. You go back to the combine, the standing vert was fifth, and his max vert was seventh, 41 and a half. So he's a super athlete. If you just go on social media, you'll see, or if you go on YouTube, you can see the guy's a crazy athlete. So if you just look at this and you look at the two guys the Celtics added, they add Tillman, who provides some level of defense, especially, I mean, we went through Tillman's numbers yesterday. I don't, don't want to go through that again. But just the fact that Tillman's a guy that you can put on the honestest of the world. He's a guy that could help you defensively. And I would say the same thing about Springer. Springer's a guy that, hey, if you want to try to trot him out there on a star guard, a star wing player, give him a few minutes there. Fine, see if he can give you some sort of impact on the defensive end of the floor. Perfectly fine with the move, and I think it's an upgrade over Banton. It's at least worth a shot because Banton's not playing whatsoever. When you send him away, makes sense to add a guy with like Springer. The Celtics love super athletic wings. They just drafted Jordan Walsh, who at this particular point in time is not ready for NBA action. See what you have in Springer, and if he doesn't work out, it doesn't really matter, right? So you could also do something if you want at the buyout market, but I think for what the Celtics had to work with in terms of their resources, this is a pretty good trading deadline. Tillman's a guy that I think is definitely going to have an impact on this team, and we'll see see about Springer. Obviously, neither one of these guys is going to provide offense, right? Springer, as we mentioned, cannot shoot. Tillman is not a great offensive player either, but the Celtics don't need that. They have enough firepower. So 
if either one of these guys gives you some minutes in the postseason and brings intensity and provides you positive minutes defensively, whether it's for two minutes, five minutes, whatever, this is a win for the Celtics because they're already a team that is completely loaded. So for what I expected from the Celtics at the trading deadline, this is pretty much like what you could ask for. We told you it was going to be sort of a small move. I really do like the Tillman move a lot, and I like the flyer on a kid in Springer that is a super athlete, right? So I, I like both the moves. I mean, I'm, we're not going to go nuts and throw a parade, but in particular, if you're going to ask me which move I like more, obviously it's the Tillman move because he's been he's played in high-level NBA games, including that series against the Lakers. But I think for the most part, good job by Brad. And we'll see what these guys turn out to be. But the point being is the Celtics are already a championship-level team, and I like what they did at the trading deadline. Okay, so that brings us to what happened around the Eastern Conference. The team that did the most, clearly the Knicks. They get both Bogdanovich and Alec Burks from the Pistons. So this Knicks team is starting to become a little bit scary to me. Now, they do have major questions in terms of what's going on with some of their guys in terms of the injury. Not worried about the Jalen Brunson thing, right? That's just an ankle situation. He'll be fine. But OG is dealing with this elbow thing where they changed it from elbow inflammation to a bone spur irritation. You wouldn't expect him to get surgery this season. But the point being is he's going to miss some more time. And then you look at Mitchell Robinson. They're going to get him back. But Julius Randle, who knows what's going on with his shoulder situation, right? They're trying to get him back, but it was a dislocation. Is he going to need surgery? My guess is that they're trying to play this out, like see how he rehabs and try to avoid the surgery to get him back. But I do think with how active they were at the trading deadline, it may signal they're worried about the Randall situation. And the OG thing, I mean, that's not good for them when the guy you just traded a ton for in OG is dealing with a situation where he's dealing with an elbow thing. But I do look at this Knicks team, and let's say they're all healthy when we get to the postseason, which seems like that's very optimistic. We'll see about the Randall situation. Obviously, that's the most serious out of these but I give them a ton of credit. Now, the one thing I will say as it pertains to the Knicks and what they were able to acquire is they are incredibly deep. They are so deep right now when you look at the team that they're working with. Outstanding job by their front office. I would also say that Troy Weaver, who runs the Pistons, I mean, this is a clown show of a deadline for him. They trade for Fantacchio, great, but then they, they basically give these guys away to the Knicks. I mean, they did an awful job. Maybe Troy Weaver is going to be working for the Knicks next season or something along those lines. Because what did they give up? Fournier's expiring. Grimes. Malachi Flynn, who they just got in the deal that brought OG over from Toronto. Archie Dinakado in two seconds. It's basically nothing that they get for these guys. Bogdanovich. And what this team needs right now, especially with the Randall injury, they need offense, right? Because the numbers since Jalen Brunson, since OG's been, or not OG, since you had the Randall situation, like they need Randall, like he's their secondary playmaker when Jalen Brunson's not on the floor and they need somebody else to stagger those minutes with, right? And the numbers with Jalen Brunson off the court lately offensively have not been good because they don't have Julius Randall. And now you bring in Bogdanovich who can heat up. This is a guy averaging 20 points per game. He's shooting 41.5% on threes on 7.4 attempts. So if you look at those makes because he missed the beginning of the season, 3.4 three-point makes per 36 minutes. That would rank in the top 25 if he qualified. Shooting 40% on catch-and-shoot threes. As a pick-and-roll ball handler, 1.00 points per possession. His effective field goal percentage is 59.3%, 79th percentile. Now, the defense is significantly worse with him off the or with him on the floor, 7.8 points per 100 to be exact. That's in the 5th percentile. But they didn't get him for his defense. They got him for his offense. What the Knicks need is more playmaking, and in particular, more ball handling, Bogdanovich can certainly do that. I mean, he's a really good player, and they should have traded him last trading deadline, quite frankly, should the Pistons. So this is another guy that can run a pick and roll, that can shoot the lights out of the gym. It's something that the Knicks certainly needed, especially in the interim now, depending on what happens with the Randall situation, but we know he's going to be out for at least a while during the regular season. You need more scoring. You need more playmaking. Bogdanovich provides that. Then you look at Alec Burks. I've loved Alec Burks for a couple of years now. The guy's shooting 40.1% on threes. He's averaging 4.0 made threes per 36 minutes. That's third in the NBA behind Steph Curry, you know, the greatest shooter of all time. And now his new teammate, Dante DiVincenzo. So, and you look at the fact that their offense is 3.2 points per 100 in Detroit, better with Burks on the floor than off the floor. 75th percentile via cleaning the glass. 
That number was at 8.8 last year, 98th percentile. The reason it's like that is because this guy's an outstanding shooter. So the Knicks, man, all these teams we talked about in the Eastern Conference, if you told me at the beginning of the season, hey, Brian, the Knicks are going to be a real concern in the postseason, I would have told you, what, are you shitting me? No, this, the Knicks team, they are legit. Now, I do wonder, like, the aggressiveness, as I alluded to, does that have something to do with the injuries? But that team is going to be awfully difficult to play. They're going to be annoying to play. They got a bunch of guys, like, DiVincenzo's having an awesome season where, He's averaging a career-high 13 points. We mentioned the three-point numbers. Brunson's been outstanding, averaging 27.2 points per game, which is eighth in the NBA. They're going to get Mitchell Robinson back. Hartenstein is number one in defensive expected plus-minus, and I'm not telling you he's the best defender in the league, but he's been really good for the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau, yes, he will run his guys into the ground, as we've seen, but he's a pretty good coach, as we saw them beat the Cavs last year. So If I was looking across the Eastern Conference and what moves scare me the most, it's the Knicks getting more scoring. Clearly what the Knicks want to do is be the number two seed and avoid the Celtics for a significant amount of time until hypothetically the Eastern Conference finals. And they feel like, hey, without Randall in there, we need to add more offense and they rip off the Detroit Pistons. I mean, the Pistons are a joke, man. What a joke of a franchise. I don't know how you let Weaver run the trading deadline after what has transpired there over the past couple of years. But outstanding job by the Knicks. So that team, like we did this a couple of weeks ago, who's the team that scares you the most? We always sort of go back to Miami because we have all that scar tissue built up between the recent Celtics heat rivalry. But right now I'm telling you, man, I am scared of the Knicks. Now in a seven game series, I believe the Celtics beat the Knicks, but give them a ton of credit. They have loaded up and at the very least, You're going to earn a series win over this team. They have a bunch of dudes in that team that are just going to get at you. I mean, now think about it hypothetically. If they're all healthy, you got OG, you got Randall, who's a beast to play against. And I know you can say some of his numbers, like he misses shots. He's had issues in the postseason at times. But Brunson's incredible. DiVincenzo is an awesome player. Burks and Bogdanovich hitting shots. Hartenstein, they're going to get Mitchell Robinson back. This is just a really, really good team. So... That's the team that scares me the most. The 76ers did a couple of things. We mentioned, of course, the Springer deal. That doesn't really affect them. They pick up Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald, to me, is a guy that, if Embiid comes back, and we still don't know what's going to happen there in terms of he's getting reevaluated in a month from this meniscus situation. But with Embiid, this is a really nice move because on catch-and-shoot threes, he shoots 41.1%. He's 106 of 258. And if you look at Philly right now, with Embiid out, they need to play the math game. Like, they need to take more threes because they don't have that seven-foot monster that just dominates the game and lives at the free-throw line, right? Or his hitting mid-range jumper. So you need to take more threes because if you look at Philly on the season, 31.4 threes per game, 26 in the NBA. So you need somebody that can take more threes for you. Well, let me introduce you to Buddy Heald, who is averaging 6.9 threes per 36 minutes. He takes 6.9. That's 22nd in the NBA. And he's a good catch and shoot guy. So it does make sense. Like you got to think outside of the box. If you're Philly, like he's not going to help you with playmaking as a pick and roll ball handler. Not that it's a ton of attempts, but just 0.51 points per possession, seventh percentile. You're not going to ask him to handle the ball. He'd be overtaxed. If you do pull up threes, not a great shooter on those 30 of 98, 30.6%. And he's been atrocious as an isolation defender. 66 possessions, 77 points, 1.17 points per possession. I mean, that is horrendous, 16th percentile. So Buddy Hill, to me, like the biggest thing that this team needed was they needed somebody else that could be a playmaker alongside Maxi because Maxi's really the only guy. Like Harris can get his own shot a little bit, but Maxi's the only guy right now with Embiid out there that can get his own shot and play make for other guys. Like remember, Embiid was averaging a career high in assists this season as well. They don't really have playmaking on that team. So heel doesn't really help you there, but I mean, you don't have a lot of choices, right? Like it's tough to just add somebody at the deadline that can be a playmaker for you. And so he'll, he'll help them offensively. I mean, he certainly isn't going to hurt them offensively. He can shoot, but I just don't think he fills their biggest need. Now, if Embiid comes back, that is a scary combination to have that type of shooter with Maxi and with Embiid because Heald is an excellent catch-and-shoot guy. Okay, the other thing is Philly sends Beverly, Patrick Beverly, to Milwaukee. And this is a whole thing. Patrick Beverly and Damian Lillard got into it recently. Beverly was already on his podcast saying he's going to make it right with Lillard. But anyway, the point being is, so Beverly goes to Milwaukee. Clearly, this is somebody that Doc wants because Doc has coached him before. 
Philly gets campaign back in that deal, who is shooting 39.7% from deep, but was not like a high impact player for the Bucs. And so maybe he can help them out with some playmaking as well. But I don't really think that. I mean, campaign's never been a consistent player when we're talking about it from the Philly side. Beverly can't shoot. He's shooting 32.1% from deep. It appears that Philly is going to get Lowry too in terms of the buyout market. But Milwaukee getting Beverly doesn't really do much for me. Like, they need to get better defensively. Beverly, at this point in his career at 35, who's he stopping on the Celtics, right? Like, he's not stopping Derek White, and he's too small to cover any of the Celtics' wings. Like, he's not covering Tatum or Jalen Brown. So this move doesn't really move the needle for me at all in terms of what Milwaukee did. In terms of Philly campaign, okay, fine. Maybe you get additional offense because they desperately need offense right now with the absence of Embiid, but neither one of those moves did too much to me. I Like, like the Buddy Heald thing, he's an expiring contract too. I don't love it for Philly, but I understand why they did that. But in terms of impacting the Celtics, like if they play him in a playoff series, Buddy Hill's going to have trouble staying on the floor because he's a horrible defender, as we alluded to. But it, the bat, Pat Beverly thing, Doc, trying to like get him and help him set the tone for the defense. I just don't really buy into that. But anyway, so another big move, I would say, in the league is Gordon Hayward, our old friend, going to OKC. I thought this was one of the best moves that we saw from the Western Conference teams. I like Hayward. He's averaging 5.2 assists per 36 minutes. I've always had a soft spot for him because of the injuries. Those 5.2 assists per 36, career high. Shooting is down overall, but catch and shoot threes, even though it's not high volume, 40.8%. He's going to get really good looks with OKC. He can play make, and I would expect him to be in the closing lineup, right? Like they're closing games with Giddy. You would expect it to be Hayward. So I was just happy for Hayward that he's getting an opportunity now to play relevant basketball again. Because he hasn't since what? The bubble with the Celtics. That's the last time this guy's played an irrelevant basketball game. Oh, by the way, I should mention our old friend Grant Williams. Traded. <laughs> He's already out of Dallas. Signs the big contract. See ya. Here's why. And they get P.J. Washington. Nice ad for Dallas. But Grant Williams, October through the end of November. 17 games, 28.8 minutes, 9.8 points per game. 43% from three. You're like, yeah, this is, this is why he makes sense for Dallas. He's a plus 36. Since the start of December, Grant Williams, 30 games, 25.1 minutes, 7.2 points per game, 33.3% from three, so almost down 10 percentage points, well below the league average, minus 52. He has been by far their worst player in plus minus. In fact, one of the worst high volume players in the entire league in terms of plus minus. So Grant... Good luck to Grant, man. Thinks he's going to be part of this Dallas team. Maybe he can be a high-impact player already gone. Okay, Bruce Brown did not get moved. Toronto's holding on to him. Miles Bridges did not get moved. That came out earlier today where Rich Paul said that he would veto any trade because he had that power. I don't know. Miles Bridges, somebody trading for him, that would be a tough sell. I mean, he's got all these, he's got the off-the-court issues. I wouldn't have done it if I was a team. And now, I can understand the intrigue because the guy has had a couple of 40-point games here, but for what's going on off the court, I just I couldn't do that if I was a member of an organization. So he stays in Charlotte. So if you just sort of look at the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee, Beverly doesn't do much for me. Healed to Philly along with Payne. Eventually, Lowry, as we said, is probably going to end up there. Doesn't do much for me. The Heat made their move with Terry. It, I, and I never want to write off the Heat, but they seem like, they're not really the same caliber they were last year, but when they get to the postseason, they'll probably dial it up. Cavs done, did really nothing. They don't have the wing defenders to guard the Celtics in terms of Tatum and Brown. And then if you look at it from a Knicks situation, that's the biggest threat, I would say, right now, depending on Embiid's health. If Embiid comes back for Philly, and we know the Celtics have had Embiid's number in the postseason, that's still scary considering the way he was playing. But I just I can't expect the same version of Embiid even if he does come back, coming back from a meniscus situation, right? He's still going to have to get his conditioning up and all that. So out of this, I mean, from a Celtics perspective, the only team that did something really that scares you is the, the Knicks adding scoring. A great afternoon for the Knicks. Get Great trading deadline for the Knicks. Their only issue now is going to be the health of the rest of the guys on that team. But some of the guys that didn't get moved, as I mentioned, the Bruce Browns of the world, that's good for the Celtics that he didn't get moved. All right, real quickly before we go, just one thing I wanted to point out, we talked about, of course, on the pod after the Hawks game, the big win. Al now in the lineup with White, Tatum, Jalen, and Porzingis, they have a plus 19 net rating. So when they go double big, it's 78 minutes, a plus 19 net rating 
102.4 defensive rating would be the best in the league. 121.4 offensive rating would be the best in the league. The starting lineup with Drew instead of Al, 401 minutes. It's a 120.1 offensive rating, 108 defensive rating, plus 12.1 net. So both these numbers are outstanding. And the reason I point that out is Al's shooting, and of course Porzingis' shooting, allows you to play double big. And this is just so important for the postseason when this team can be incredibly versatile when you get there in terms of the lineups you want to throw out. So the double big has been really working for the Celtics. And one other note, Jalen, we mentioned the playmaking this year. Last night, or I should say Wednesday night, was his 17th game with five assists or more. He only had 14 all of last year. And the Celtics are now 15-2, and two, so that's an 882 winning percentage in those games. So the playmaking for Jalen has definitely impacted this team in a major way. He's sacrificing almost three shots a game, so I just thought I'd point that out. But overall, trading deadline, I would say I like the Tillman ad. We'll see what you have in Springer. I mean, definitely worth a shot. And the only team that really did something that scares you is the Knicks right now. And in a Knicks series, you're going to have the best player. I love Brunson, but I think the Celtics have the best player in that series. It'll be a battle against the Knicks if it ends up being that way. But I think all in all, if you're looking at this through Celtics glasses, this is a good trading deadline for the Celtics, considering what most of these other teams in the Eastern Conference didn't do. All right, a lot more to get into. Coming up next, Jamie McClellan and I give you our picks for the Super Bowl, baby. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. All right, now I'm looking at one of the specials. So you can get Chris Jones and Nick Bosa each to record half a sack for plus 340. That's pretty good value. You're talking about arguably, or in the case of Chris Jones, he's the best defensive player in this game, I would say. And Nick Bosa is the best pass rusher for San Francisco. So for them to each record half a sack, that's not too much for plus 340. So I like that as one of the specials this weekend. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. If you're new to FanDuel, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets when you win your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com Pike to sign up. That's FanDuel.com Pike. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back into Off the Pike. All right, about to get to our Super Bowl bets, thanks to our friends at FanDuel with producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. But before we do that, let's get to a call, that number 617-396-7172. Mr. Brian Barrett, host of the Off the Pike Sports Broadcast podcast. Although you are a radio broadcaster as well. But anyways, I enjoyed, I had Lewis on, uh, as talking about the Bull Sox, and I see that uh, Theo's coming back. I'm glad they got Theo coming back because seems like the family sports group doesn't know what the fuck they're doing anymore. And maybe Theo can set them straight. Maybe they can go back. Maybe they have him back to bring back their glory days when they had, like, Fenway Park was banged out for, like, X amount of consecutive nights in a row. Maybe they want to go back to that. Because other than, like, a group of sports venture capitalists, it seems like, you know, and your number one asset is still, I don't care what they say, is still the fan. That's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. That's where... 
John Henry can go in his money counting room at night with a grinning ear to ear and can count the money he's making. But anyways, aside from that, hoping that, uh, Brian, maybe you and uh, Jenny can make a breakdown, shakedown of the Super Bowl. I think quarterback is a no-brainer with uh, Patrick Mahomes, and that's probably what will win the Super Bowl for you. But then I think coaching, running game, et cetera, it's all pretty much, uh, I don't know, on board as far as, I don't know, who you give them the mark to. And maybe if you get a chance to break it down, we'd love to hear that kind of podcast as well. But I always enjoy the podcast. And uh, you guys take care of yourself. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right, great stuff as always, Joe. And you read my mind because Jamie and I are about to give you our picks for the Super Bowl. And in that, we'll have some debate in terms of the better running back, the better quarterback, et cetera. But getting to your stuff on Theo first, and we'll bring in Jamie McClellan right now. So, Jamie, we haven't really got your take on Theo either, right? Because I did the pod with Lou. And thanks for the kind words, as always, Joe. And I did appreciate the passion dropping the F-bomb. We don't usually hear that when Joe leaves us a voicemail. But I totally agree that, and we mentioned this with Lou, just the fact that I don't know any Red Sox fan. Like, it felt like because the offseason was so bad, because what has transpired with the ownership group over the past couple years has been so bad, that people are just like, oh, this is no big deal. Like, this is a small portion of the fan base. But anybody that isn't excited about Theo Epstein coming back, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how you couldn't be excited about this, considering the fact that you go back throughout Theo's tenure. Now, I'm not saying every move Theo made worked, but he convinced ownership, certain guys, it was important to spend money and to make trades in certain places, and he had the air of ownership. I would also argue that Dave Dombrowski did. And then when... They had issues with the Chris Sale contract, even though ownership, John Henry in particular, came out and said the reason they gave Chris Sale that contract was because they botched the John Lester thing, but then they blamed him for that contract, right? So they soured on Dave Dombrowski. But the point I bring up with Dave is just the fact that ownership listened to him because this is a guy that had won a World Series with a different team. He had brought the Detroit Tigers to the World Series, right? Now he's brought four different organizations there. With Hein Bloom, I don't think he ever had the air of ownership in that criteria where they're like, okay, yeah, we'll just, we'll spend that money, right? Now he spent in certain places, but even if you think about the biggest free agent he brought in, who was it? Trevor Story. Trevor Story got a deal that he was banged up, so the money wasn't there, but Trevor Story, it wasn't even his first choice to come here. He wanted to go to the Rangers. The Rangers decided to go with Seager, who is at this point the better player and just just had a great run through the postseason, right? But the point being is like, they got Trevor Story because he didn't want to go to Texas. And for what they expected Story to be, it wasn't a huge contract. And I know you can say, Brian, you're crazy. That contract stinks. I understand where everybody's coming from with that. I'm just saying at the time when he signed the contract, it didn't look like it was this big, huge contract. And if you look and look, it's you, it's basically two years of it or a lost cause. But you get the point that I'm trying to make here. So with Theo here, Craig Breslow is it's his first time running this thing. He wasn't even number two in Chicago, right? Like he was down the pecking order when it comes to that. So having a guy like Theo there and the more and more we find out, Theo was part of the process in hiring. Not that he directly did the hiring, but he talked to both sides, Breslow and at the time, the Red Sox ownership group, which he wasn't a member of at that particular point in time yet. So when I look at all these things, I don't know how anybody can say this is a bad thing for the Red Sox. Like, it's going to be positive. And I know like his role isn't technically all with the Red Sox. Like the Penguins have a young GM, so he's going to talk to them. He's going to help with the new manager search, right? So like he's going to do a lot of different things, right? And by manager search, I mean for the soccer team. I do not mean for the Red Sox. But yeah, my point is like, yeah, this is like the one thing we can look at in the entire offseason and say, this is a good thing. Okay. Maybe he'll be in the Netflix doc. Who knows? I Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, he, he, He's never been part of a bad thing when it comes to his baseball career. Like everything he touches turns to gold, basically. I mean, even the Cubs and more recently, like the rule changes with the MLB. He's just, he clearly is a very brilliant baseball mind. And they're trying to downplay how much he's going to have to do with the Red Sox. But he's a former baseball GM. Obviously, he's going to have, I think, special interests in the baseball operations. Again, maybe not day to day, but... If it's like, okay, you can help out with Liverpool or you can help out with the Red Sox, obviously he's going to be helping out with the Red Sox, I think, a fair amount. And like you said, he's a great conduit where he has a great relationship with Breslow and a great relationship with Henry. That sounds perfect to me. And they've been talking about this for 
for years that sometimes it's hard, like you mentioned, to get his attention. You- All right. Yeah, I agree with that. And the one other thing that I would say, Jamie, is just the fact that if you sort of look at this thing, this was ownership and they admitted it. Uh, Cotillo had it in his article. This was ownership like they are aware of the perception that they don't care enough about the baseball team right now. Yeah. And you could argue, like we've argued on multiple occasions, that they don't have the same motivation despite what Sam Kennedy says. So bringing in Theo Epstein is an admission on their own behalf. Not to sure. mention, you want, a, you want a smart guy in your ownership group, but it also is an admission that, hey, we have to pay more attention to the baseball team. So I do think when it comes to that, that is a positive going forward, that they're saying, hey, we're not doing a good enough job, okay? Let's get Theo Epstein. And I know, like, every time the Red Sox do something, you have to factor in the PR aspect, right? Like, Definitely. So, and it certainly is good PR, but I do think there is at least some genuine awareness of, we're not doing a good enough job. Let's bring in somebody to the ownership group that can help. And I do think Theo Epstein certainly fits that. And he'd be the best guy to do it. Yeah. I think also one more point where people, I've heard kind of cynical people online saying this is just lip service. This is just PR. I would say it sounds like Theo Epstein basically was asked to be part of every single ownership group in the MLB. And he chose the yeah. Red Sox. So I guarantee this isn't some bullshit job, like headpiece job where he doesn't actually do anything. He chose here. So to me... That tells me this is an attractive job where he actually has some real, you know, say in what happens. Right. And he wants to eventually be in a bigger role in right. an ownership group. So I'm sure this is all part of the process with Theo as well. Okay. So let's get to some fun. The Super Bowl, of course, coming up on Sunday. So thanks to our friends at FanDuel. Jamie and I have a bunch of picks lined up for you this week. All right. So I'm going to start with a side, Jamie. So I'm going with the Chiefs to win the first half and the Chiefs to win the game. That's at plus 190. Like I said last week, or two weeks ago, I should say now, I had the Chiefs on the money line for plus 180. I'm not betting against Pat Mahomes after I thought I bet against him with the Buffalo game against the Ravens. No chance. I'm sticking with Pat Mahomes until he proves me wrong. And the reason I go with the first half, too, Mm -hmm. Miami, they had a 16 to uh, 7 lead. Buffalo, they, they trailed by four at halftime. I admit that. Okay, the Ravens, they were up 17 to 7 at halftime. And here's the other component to this. Andy Reid is one of the best guys in terms of the script, like the first 15 plays of the game. The Chiefs have scored on their first trip in every game this postseason. Two touchdowns and one field goal, okay? And if you look at it with the other side of this, when you look at San Francisco, the reason I'm betting the Chiefs to win the first half, they were down 24-7 to to the Lions. Mm-hmm. And they only had... Uh, if you look at it, the Green Bay, what was it? What, they have a one-point lead on Green Bay at halftime? So San Francisco has not been ready no. to start these playoff games. You could argue they should have lost both of those. And look, they're a great team. They deserve all the credit for coming back. But the reason I, first of all, I get a little bit more when I go to the plus 90 when I take the first half and I take the Chiefs yeah. to win the game. But I do think the Chiefs are going to have a really good opening drive of the game. Now, I could look like an idiot five minutes into the Super Bowl and the Chiefs have a three and out, but that's the reason I put the first <laughs> half in there because the Chiefs have been really good in the first half. And I think yeah. that's the way they want to play. They want to get a lead and then say, hey, we have this guy in Pacheco, and we'll get to him later, of course, that's going to run in between the tackles and just try to beat you up physically. Like this guy, run. I can't remember a running back that runs as hard as Pacheco. Like, dude, he's, and I'm sure, like, um, there, there's plenty of guys that have, but it's just like right now, I think he runs harder than anybody else in the league. Just the guy is, yeah. he just wants to knock you over. So that's the reason. So plus 190, Chiefs in the first half and Chiefs to win the game. I like that, Brian. I think, you know, this is all prognostication, you know, not guesswork, but hy- uh, hypotheses. And I think that's a great hypothesis. Like you said, this is what they've been doing every week where I know Simmons made a big, deal about this last uh, Sunday on his podcast, but it really felt like they, they're going for it early and often where they he said they throw the kitchen sink at you. They run all their fun plays because that, that's how they play at their best when they're up some points and they can kind of rely on that defense to hold on to things. So yeah, I, I think that's smart. That definitely is how they want to play. I think the only thing preventing that is, I guess, the team on the other side of the ball where, yeah, that is how the Chiefs want to do things, but will they be able to? Uh, we shall see. Um I am taking, for instance, the Niners just on the money line. So I think, again, I I could see what you say, at least definitely in the first half. They're definitely going to come out swinging, whether or not the Niners have another counterpunch DBD. I I do think this Niners team, they've been the favorite the entire year, and I think for a good reason. Here they are in the championship. I think this is their their best team that they've had, and they've been very, very good the past five, ten years. And uh, I think they have so many weapons. I I don't see how... Uh, Kansas City puts a lid on them. And I think 
one note, Brian, that I think is important in all this. You keep you mentioned the the Chiefs playoff run, which has been very impressive. But a lot of these games, like you mentioned, they get out to a big lead and then they kind of muck things up, slow things down, and hang on to win. But all three of those games, Brian, have been in very bad weather. It was like the coldest game ever against Miami. It was quite cold and windy in Buffalo, and then it was rainy and sloppy against the Ravens. And I think all those yeah. games, they do very well when games are kind of sloppy because they are such a well-coached, fine-tuned team that they they don't make mistakes and they let the Ravens fumble on the one-yard line kind of thing. But this game, in a dome, against the 49ers, I think it's going to be very different in, for those reasons. So we're going against each other, Jamie. We are. Of course. And I like some of your logic, which has me a little bit worried as we get ready for this oh, game. Good. and. It, Yeah, the other thing that I would say, too, is they found something in the second half in terms of Purdy rushing the football. Like, Purdy, those scrambles, I feel like, got them back in the game. So I'm wondering if that's something that he dials into where it's like, hey, in the first half, he wasn't doing that. In the second half, it's like, okay, nobody's open. I got to take off because he's at least athletic enough to be able to pick up some yardage. I do think it's so fascinating, too, that San Francisco is back here and they were just here a couple of years ago with Jimmy Garoppolo. They fucked up the pick. Like, they gave up so much draft capital to get Trey Lance. (laughs) And here they have the last pick in the draft that's starting at quarterback against the quarterback that is going to be going down as the best quarterback of his generation. It's just wild, the difference in both organizations. And it's a credit to San Francisco. Like, they have have all these picks, and they trade, or they hit on a lot of these picks, the Boses of the world, etc., and you think about just how stacked the team is with Debo and Ayuk and George Kittle, and they made the trade for Christian McCaffrey, which if you remember back to that time, a lot of people criticized that. Yeah, like they right. were getting like C minuses, Cs in terms of the grades at the trading deadline. You gave up too much. It's like, no, this guy's like an unbelievable weapon, right? So I'm, I, I cannot wait for the game. Okay, yeah. so moving on as I digress there. I'm just, I'm, I think the storylines are fascinating. And Taylor Swift is involved too. So I mean, the whole thing is fascinating. <laughs> is she? Yes, yeah, she's going to be there, I, I think, right? Is She's getting like a jet from Japan, I think, right? Isn't she yeah, in Japan? Yeah, she's, yeah like, I think she's she on has tour, a right? concert like the day before in Tokyo, but she'll be there. Okay, okay. So, yeah, poor Usher, man. He's just going to be overshadowed <laughs> by Taylor Swift. Usher's doing the... I feel like yeah. I'm in like high school or something. Usher's doing... When's the last time this guy's been relevant? I don't know. It was not the I know most he's inspiring like, halftime show for me, at least. Yeah, I know he's like the, a legend and all that, but I remember a couple years ago, it may have been this... This matchup, Chiefs versus Niners. Remember when the weekend did it, and he was like, yeah. it was like bizarre. He was like with the mirrors, the Funhouse mirrors. I think it was. I'm like, dude, what is going on? Here? But anyway, <laughs> all right. So let's get to my touchdown parlay, Jamie. So this mm-hmm. is for plus twelve thirty. It's four legs: McCaffrey, Pacheco, Kelsey, and Debo. Kelsey three touchdowns in the postseason. The only one he didn't have a touchdown in is their opening game. Pacheco has a touchdown in all three games, mm-hmm. and we've been cashing that every week in our touchdown parlay. McCaffrey, four touchdowns yep. in two games. Debo, no touchdowns in the postseason, but he has 12 total touchdowns on the season. And of course, he was banged up for one of those postseason games. So that's the long shot one of plus 1230. Yeah. If you take Debo out, if you want to just be a little bit more conservative about this, it's plus 446. If you just go McCaffrey, Pacheco, and Kelsey, you can get that at plus 446. So if you want to put the fourth leg, the reason I put Debo is I feel like they're going to come up with something creative Play. for yeah. him, right? Where okay. it's like he could rush it in to the end zone, right? And we've seen that multiple times this season. Or they just dial something up. So that was like the fourth guy I put in there just because I feel like Pacheco's going to score. I feel like Kelsey's going to score. And I would be shocked if McCaffrey doesn't score because the guy scores every game. It's right. like the pick that you used to have earlier in the season with Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen, any time touchdown, was cashing oh, every yeah. game, right? So you could either go plus 446 if you take Debo out or the plus 1230 with all four. I'll probably like, go the Debo route. I, I think, Brian, you might as well make both those bets. You know, it's like you make money. So if one hits, you still cover the, the longer shot one, but... I was on the same track as you. I was a little more conservative, but I just had McCaffrey and Kelsey for the same reasons, all those touchdowns. I think Pacheco is perfectly smart to put in there as well. But um, like you said, they score a lot. And I think more than just they score a lot, it seems like the the way they play an offense, it's not like a random touchdown. It's not like, oh, look, Travis Kelsey's open in the end zone. Let's throw him the ball. It's like, we're on the goal line. We're going to drop this play to get Travis Kelsey the ball. Or we're on the goal line. We're going to give McCaffrey the rock and pat out the middle. Like they, they are specifically playing the game to get these guys touchdowns because they're their best players on the goal line. So it just seems like more than just happenstance, they're going to get, they're going to score as long as those two teams get inside the red zone. I feel like. 
Yeah, I like it. I like it. I just, I feel like Pacheco is more of a sure yeah. bet than you. It's just, I feel, and I know it wasn't that way throughout the regular season. I just feel like no, this he's, postseason, he's running hard. they've, yeah, they've made it clear, like, they're going to get him into the end zone. Okay. Yeah. All right. So here's my next one. This is the Pacheco. I'm all over Pacheco in this because I think the Chiefs are going to okay. win and I think they're going to control time of possession. So Pacheco, Veldez, Scantling, Parlay. Okay. okay. Probably <laughs> words you never thought you would hear. This <laughs> yeah. is for, this is plus 228. Pacheco over 67 and a half rushing yards, which I told you the reason for that is because I think they're going to run okay. the ball a lot. They have a lead. Mm-hmm. And then Veldez Scantling over 20 and a half receiving yards. Okay. So the last two games for Veldez Scantling, even though he's been criticized throughout the season, 38 and 62 yards. Okay. He averaged 15 yards a catch. I just think all it takes is one big one, right? And the rest of their receivers, are like Rache Rice is a yak guy. So he's yeah. doing stuff after the catch. Kelsey's not going down the field. Like it's Kelsey's not going down the field. So if they take a shot, it's going to be with Velda Scantling. We saw that in the last game, right? And the Niners' corners, this is like one of the weakest parts of their team. Their corners are not good. Mm. Goff threw for 273 yards against these guys. And then with Pacheco, if you think about it, if the Lions ran for 182 yards on 29 carries, that's 6.3 yards per rush. And here's the thing that I like about this mm-hmm. matchup for Pacheco. They did it on the in the interior, right? Because you think Gibbs, he had the touchdown. We cashed that in the touchdown parlay. But Gibbs is such a, an incredible running back. But it was actually Montgomery yeah. that ran for 93 yards. And he is a bruiser similar to Pacheco. Now, Pacheco is the superior back. But you get my point is he's a bruising type running back. Yeah. And if you look deeper into San Francisco, they're 26 in rush EPA and they're 24th in rush success rate. So I do believe, unless like the game gets out of control for the Chiefs, Pacheco's going to get the opportunities. He's going to get the carries. And secondarily, I think they just all it takes is like one pass to Veldez Scantling because yeah. he's not catching the ball next to the line near the line of scrimmage. And you throw the Veldez Scantling thing in with the Pacheco, you get that up to plus two twenty eight. There's some value in that. What did you say? It was it was twenty receiving yards for Veldez Scantling. He's at twenty and a half. That was a good value to me, Brian. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't argue with that. I and mean, then sixty-seven for Pacheco. That I like that one especially. Maybe even on its own. That's a, that's a winner. Yeah, I was looking to do just like Pacheco rushing attempts and parlay yeah. that with Velda scaling, but you can't parlay the know, rush they're, attempts. They're that would be a good prop. Things. Yeah, that would be a good prop to take. But I, I do, I do think he's going to get over the sixty-seven and a half. Yeah, I like that. And I mean, we've seen Velda Scantling actually come up with some big catches this postseason after not doing that, it felt like his entire career. So maybe he's found something. Yeah, a huge one. Yeah, right. Um, you mentioned uh, Rache Rice being a yak guy, Brian. I was looking at, you can bet on most yards after the catch on a single reception. Um, and they, own, they offer maybe five or six players. But listen to these odds, Brian. You can get Rache Rice for plus 370. He was fourth this year in yak. You can get Debo Samuel for plus 540, who was 12th. And then McCaffrey, 630. Travis Kelsey, 680. George Kittle, 710. All three of those guys and all five of those guys were in the top 25 this year in Yak. So point being, they're all pretty solid with the Yak points. And all those odds are pretty, pretty juiced. So it's like kind of like take your pick. But if you put a little extra on Rache Rice, you can bet them all. And if any one of them hits, you make money. Okay, yeah. So just to be clear, like you said, so it's just the most yak in one reception, not one for the play, game. not for the game. Okay, all right. I like this. I didn't see this prop. I like this. I like the Debo plus five forty because, like, you give Debo a screen and say he takes it forty yards to the house or forty five totally. yards to the house. Like he catches it behind the line of scrimmage and takes mm-hmm. it. To, I love that. I love the plus five forty for Debo. Okay, I get. I didn't even see this. See, this is what I'm telling you. FanDuel offers you so much in terms of the things you can bet on. I may have to do that. This is a fun one. I think also the two tight ends rumbling around. You could see Kelsey or how many times have we seen Kittle do this? So I just think you could take any of them. You could take three out of the five of them. But again, you could take all five of them and still make some cash. So yeah, this is a fun one. I like it. I like it. Okay, so I'm going to another long shot. This is correct score. Mm. I got this for plus 12,000. Plus 12,000. Hell yeah. Chiefs 24, Niners 20. Okay, so I have the Chiefs winning, so naturally I have to pick the Chiefs to score more points than the Niners. That's how that sort of works. But if you look at their wins in the postseason, 26, 27, 17. 
So I have them going a little bit lower in this game because usually Super Bowls are lower scoring. So basically, what's that? Three touchdowns and a field goal. And for the Niners, two touchdowns and two field goals. So I think it's going to be a lower scoring game because the way to describe it in terms of Pacheco sort of controlling the clock, controlling time of possession. So when I look at it from that perspective, I see a lower scoring game, lower 20s. That's why I go with that 24 to 20. And the plus 12,000, there were some other ones I was debating, like, <laughs> do I go 24-21? But the juice, the plus 12,000 mm. is what I like. I like that, bro. I'm a little annoyed because my correct score is only plus 8,000. So you beat me on that front. So I'm annoyed about What's it. What's your correct score? I had I had very similar uh, philosophy thinking. I have 27-20 49ers over Chiefs. And my last kicker, Brian, the, on top of everything else, is the over-under is 47 and a half. And as you know, Vegas, they always know. So I'm taking right on the dot, 47 points total. Same thing. I think three touchdowns for the Niners, two touchdowns for the Chiefs, plus a couple field goals on both sides. But very similar logic. But again, I'm, I'm using uh, the Vegas stats heads to guide my pick. That is smart. I like the logic on that. You looked, <laughs> yeah. That's smarter than me. I just picked the score. You looked at the over-under. That, that's very smart. Okay. All right. So MVP, Mahomes is obviously yep. has the shortest odds at plus 140. If the Chiefs win, that's probably the smart pick because it's Mahomes, right? Like, they're going to want to give it to Mahomes. The Niners, if you're picking the Niners to win, like you are, Jamie, I can't wait to hear your pick because that that makes a little <laughs> bit more— because there's so many candidates on yeah. that team. But the wild card for me is Pacheco at plus 3,000. You know, I'm big 3, on the Pacheco 000. props already. Say he goes north of 100 yards and he has two touchdowns and it's a low-scoring game, like I'm predicting and Mahomes does not throw— for a ton of yards, like obviously he's going to make critical plays. Mm-hmm. But the question is, will that be enough? Like Kittle's good value too. Like this yeah. is another th- thing you could look at. If you look at, now obviously I wouldn't pick Kittle because I'm picking the Chiefs to win. But if you just pick a tight end, if you just say the pis- uh, the position, tight end, you can get that for plus 1300 as well. But I like the Pacheco one. That, like, I, I, I guess I just wonder what it would take, right? Like I think it would take multiple touchdowns for Pacheco, and he would have to be over 100 yards yeah, to get it get it over Mahomes, right? And Mahomes has, like, a good game, but not, like, a vintage Mahomes game, right? Like, he'll definitely make the highlight throws that we have come accustomed to seeing with Pat Mahomes. But if it's, like, you know, like, Brady had a couple of those Super Bowls, like, in 04, where it's like, oh, Deion Branch had a million receptions. Edelman was the guy yeah. in the last one. Brady, of course, won the other four. But if there's just something that, like, if it's, Hey, Pacheco ran the ball like 25 times in this game, and they were relying on Pacheco. Maybe he can squeeze in there at plus 3,000. But uh, you could take Mahomes at plus 140 if, say, hypothetically, like me, or on the Chiefs, and then put a little on Pacheco for plus 3,000. I like that, Brian. I think, um, so you kind of hit on it, actually. One of my bigger points with uh, Brady not winning in 04. I looked this up. No one has ever won three straight Super Bowl MVPs when their team has won three Super Bowls. Not necessarily in a row, but when when a player has won three, like Montana, Bradshaw, Brady, Aikman, etc., they've never won all three. So mm. Mahomes would have to do a lot. I think I think it's all about these narratives. It's like people don't want to do that, and especially when you consider the kind of season Patrick Mahomes had. I, he to me does not strike me as like going for four hundred yards and five touchdowns because I think that's might what it takes to win. And I do think. It's a bit of a passing league, obviously, right now. So I think guys like Kelsey, like you said, that plus 1,300 for tight ends, where you can get Kittle and you can get Kelsey. Like, I would argue Kelsey was probably the MVP of the AFC Championship when you had, like, 11 catches for 116 yards, etc. But I just, I just don't see them giving Mahomes the MVP this year, given how he's played this year and given the narrative of they don't like, they like mixing it up. Like, again, Deion Branch won that one. And then Joe Montana ended up with three Super Bowl MVPs, but Jerry Rice won one in the middle. So I think for that reason, I'd be a little surprised if Mahomes wins three in a row. And so like you mentioned, the plus 1,300 for tight ends is good. But call me crazy, but I kind of like the minus 185 for the field versus Mahomes as well. That's What is that? Minus 185? Yeah. So, But again, the entire field. Because I think, I think if the Niners win, obviously he's not going to get it. And I think if the Chiefs win, I'd be very hard-pressed to see Mahomes winning it as well. As crazy as that sounds. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Um, I, I just like the longer shots in this one, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I told you Mahomes at plus 140, but I didn't know that. That's interesting that a guy that's won three Super Bowls, like, 
He's never won three in a row. Brady's, of course, won, what, five Super Bowl MVPs, but he yeah. never won three in a row in the games that he won. And the other part of this is, like, if you wanted to go defense, it's sometimes tough to, like, figure out who it's going to be. Like, Very certain much. times, you like, Super Bowl 50 was Vaughn Miller. I'm looking through the MVPs that on the defensive side. That one, okay, like, he's the he was unreal that season. Yeah. And obviously, they won that Super Bowl because he's they're the defensive. He's the only one I can remember to win on the defensive side, at least in my lifetime, seemingly. So, a couple of other ones. Can you guess, I, I, I'm, as I'm looking this up, like I didn't even remember this. Can you guess who won it when the Seahawks beat the Broncos? It was a defensive player on the Legion of Boom. Was it, what's his face, the linebacker? Bobby, Bobby, what's his face? No, it was a linebacker, but it was a different one. Malcolm Smith. Like Malcolm he was Smith. their third best yeah. linebacker. KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner better than that. He was Wagner. like their seventh best defensive player, but he did, I think he had a pick six okay. in that game. I completely forgot that. Dexter Jackson with the Buccaneers, who was not their best defensive player. I mean, that team had Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks, right? I mean, Ray Lewis won it. That's sort of, okay. that makes sense. Then you got to go all the way back to Larry Brown with the Cowboys, the other corner that wasn't that up, Deion yeah. Sanders. <laughs> Richard Dent. Okay, that makes sense, of course, for the Bears. But yeah, so I mean, it's tough to pick a defensive player yeah. to that you would like to win. Like, I mean... Bosa would be a candidate, of course. Chris Jones would be a candidate, but who yeah. knows? Like if if a guy comes up pick with a six. pick six or something, like changes the game, that could be. But okay, all right. So here's my long shot parlay. Plus seven forty eight. Let's see how many legs do we have in this one? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Plus seven forty eight. <laughs> a seven leg parlay. Yeah. Rache Rice five receptions. In the playoff games, he's had eight, four, and eight. I mean, like I said, and we talked about earlier, he's a yak guy. McCaffrey, four receptions. He's had seven and four. Travis Kelsey, 40 receiving yards. He's had 71, 75, and 116. And Laporta had 97 against the San Francisco 49ers in, I don't know why I said the full name, against the Niners in the (laughs) NFC Championship game. Kittle, 40 receiving yards. He had 81, 27 in the NFC Championship game, but only three targets. So I'd expect him to be more involved. Yeah. Pacheco, 70 rushing yards, so that's two and a half yards over what I took in terms of the over. It was 67 and a half, so I boosted that up to 70. He's had 68, 97, and 89. Mahomes, 200 passing yards. Of course, he's been over that in all three games. Purdy, over 200 passing yards. He's been over that. He's been over 250 yards in both. Now, granted, they have fallen behind, but 200 is not a lot to ask for a quarterback in 2024. No. That's, I mean, that's... That's the long shot, baby. You know what's going to happen? It's I'm going to have like one leg miss. That's what I always bet. happens with the long shot parlays. <laughs> that is what always happens. because You say them all individually. Like, oh, yeah, that's very reasonable. But stringing them together, it's another story. But I wish you well, Brian. I hope that happens for you. Um, my my long shot, this is for plus 896. This Ooh. one, yeah, this is all. This isn't even that crazy to me, at least, where it's Brock okay. Purdy. Yeah, Hold on, me. I'm typing the I'm tape I'm typing this down, Jamie, so I don't forget. Okay. <laughs> All right. Plus Purdy. 896. Purdy over 246 passing yards. Like you just okay. mentioned, he's done that this postseason. Over one and a half TDs, passing TDs. And then the kicker that really juices it. We both talked about this. Over 25 rushing yards. That's it. For Purdy? For Purdy. Okay, so that's plus 896. I think I think they don't think he's going to get 20. I mean, first, they don't think all three of these things, but especially the I think his over under rushing is like 12 yards. So taking the 25 plus really juices it. But I just think it would be so funny if <laughs> Brock Purdy outplays Patrick Mahomes to win the game. Like it's like I like no it. one wants that to happen, but it could happen. I like it, though. The Purdy parlay. That's right, baby. Yeah, the one I would be the most concerned about is the passing touchdowns, just because of McCaffrey. Yeah. Well, I guess McCaffrey could have a, a receiving touchdown, as we've seen, too. So that They could, could spread it around, though. It's true. Definitely, I like you that, know, though. A little plus, reverse with Debo or something. Plus 896. He only needed three legs. For three legs. Than my, yeah, for my seven. I mean, granted, most of my, all my seven are alternate, but right. one only one is, like, over what the actual over-under is. So I like that. Plus 896. Not bad. All right, Jamie. Um, You good? Anything else you want to add to this, or... I, I didn't take any of the weird, I didn't see any of the like the weird parlays that I was interested in. So I was looking for some weird ones. The, the problem is, Brian, they're very uh, state by state. So whatever the Massachusetts legislature, they weren't about. They specifically earmarked no Taylor Swift props or something. So you got to go okay. to like West Virginia. Maybe I'll get in the car and drive to Vegas tomorrow and play some freaky bets. But I'll let you know if I hey, do. 
Going to West Virginia, leave Joe a voicemail. He'll put in a bet <laughs> for you. I would have to say hi to Joe if we went to West Virginia for sure. Yeah, I got to say hi to our guy Joe. And <laughs> if you go to West Virginia, maybe have some moonshine or something, you know? Mm. I think if I had to pick a freaky one, though, Brian, I'm going, going purple Gatorade. I was always a Gatorade fierce guy, fierce grape. Yeah, I like, I'm more of a Powerade guy than a Gatorade guy, but I do like the purple. I actually have one right now, the grape mm-hmm. flavor. I like the purple. I like the blue. I like the red. I actually recently had a new Gatorade flavor. Oh. Uh, flavor. It was apple. I'm, I, like I said, I'm more of a Powerade Zero guy than a Gatorade Zero guy. But yeah, the apple, it tastes, it's like in between apple juice and sour apple. I don't know how to explain it, but it was a little much. I was taken okay. back by the taste. Like the first taste, I'm like, I kind of like this. But as you're drinking the rest of it, you're like, yeah, this may be too flavorful. You know what I mean? You don't want to be over the top with the flavor. Do you remember, Ryan, they had Gatorade X Factor? It was like two flavors in one. They had the green one. I think one of them was apple. That was tasty, though. I think it was like a red and a green. I can't remember specifically, but X Factor was uh, underrated. I hope it's still around. You know what? You know what I used to like back in the day was all sport. This place that I used to play when I was a kid, indoor soccer, they had all sport. It was like a carbonated sports drink. Stuff was awesome. Huh. Like, I don't even I don't even remember where you got it, but I've you could get it that. in like Yeah, you could get it in like a powder form. But at this place I used to play soccer. It's called Soccer Etc. I think it still exists. They uh-huh. had like a roller they had like a roller palace in there too. Ooh. Unbelievable pizza too. Growing up as a kid, like this is not like <laughs> this is not like premium pizza. But for some reason, the pizza at this it place hit. was like right. as a kid, you really liked it. But yeah, there was a lot of birthday parties there. Like I played in soccer leagues there, but a lot of kids that have their birthday party there, you could rent it out to play under soccer. Some kids would like rent out the Roller Palace. But yeah, all sport. All sport. I, I don't. Yeah, it was legit, man. I don't know whatever okay. happened to all sport. Okay, so before we go, any big plans for the Super Bowl? You know, I was thinking about what to cook. I usually just do buffalo wings. That's my go-to, Brian. But I don't know. I might do something a little crazy. I might do like a chili. Or I was thinking Whoa. just making some some meatball subs at home. I feel like this is one of the things. You only ever get them out at the sub shop or something. I'm bringing the sub shop to my house. That's what I'm going for. What about you? I like you it. Any plans? I like it. Not really. So, of course, we're going to record after the Celtics and the Heat. But I, I'm not a huge, like... I like to watch the game with a couple of people, but I don't like to be like the big Super Bowl party. You know yeah. what I mean? When there's like, there's like too many people. Once you get over a certain limit, like you're over like six or seven yeah. from my perspective and you got people that aren't interested in the game. You know, it's like a Sunday to go out. It's like a night to go out. That's where I'm like, okay, I want to dial this in here. I want to watch the game. Not that I'm like, you know, super dialed in, like rewinding <laughs> it or something along those lines, right? But I just, I'm so used to it being like the Patriots, you know what I mean? For so many years, we saw the Patriots in these games. I mean, you think back to the last decade, the Patriots were, what, they were in it against the Giants, then they were in it in 2014 against the Seahawks, the Atlanta game, I and I was actually at that Super Bowl, and I was at Radio Row that week. I didn't oh, yeah. go to the actual game, yeah, but I was at Radio Row that week, yeah. I was living in Houston at the time. 2017, they're back in the Super Bowl. 2018, they're in the Super Bowl, and then you go to when... I was really young, 01, 03, sure. 04, 07, right? So I'm so used to the Patriots being in this. I think this is just how I watch the Super Bowl. Like, I, I don't want to be around a ton of people because I want to dial into the game. And then I watch it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Patriots aren't in. Why, mm-hmm. what? I guess like a couple of years ago, you had the Brady game. So I was like super dialed into that. But I just, I want, I, I'm more of a low-key Super Bowl guy than like a big party Super Bowl guy. I'll probably watch with like a couple of my brothers or something like that. No, maybe I'm, def- couple, I'm maybe definitely with buddies. you when the when the Patriots are in, everyone get out of the room. Only only hyper fans. But when it, when it's like you know Niners Chiefs, I can I'll take it a little easier. But I'm definitely with you when Patriots are there. I'm laser focused. Yeah, probably mix in an adult soda or two and yeah. go from there. You know, and, and I like the fact that the Super Bowl is early enough. I mean, you're on the West Coast, but it's at six thirty, right? Yeah. Or th- yes. is it three or three thirty? But yeah, something like that. Yeah, but even like on. Like for us, it's yeah. over like by nine o'clock. It so nice. it's not like, or before 10 at least, it's not super late like the ordinary Sunday night game or like the Saturday night game during the postseason. So I do like that. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast. And we'll chat in a couple of days.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call one 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 